Hello, unfiltered friends. Today we have on Megan Tonjes. Megan Tonjes is a force. She is one of YouTube's earliest music creators, but also a voice for body positivity. We talk about music, we talk about dating and sex and her experiences as a bigger person on the internet. Just a heads up, we do use the term fat a handful of times because Megan Ton just claims that word and doesn't see it as derogatory. So without further ado, Megan Tonjes. Welcome to the Unfiltered Friends Podcast. Before we introduce you to our next friend, I want you to take a moment to think about everything that led you to where you are right now. Do you see how strong you are? Do you see how great your story is? I hope you do, and I hope you learn great lessons and get inspired by our next friend's story on the Unfiltered Friends Podcast. Hello, Megan Tonjes. <laughs> Hello, Chris Thompson. <laughs> you are one of those first and last name people, or just yeah. Tonjes. I guess you were Tonjes a, a bunch, but I don't know. I feel comfortable calling you Megan Tonjes. Yeah, I'll take the full name. It weirds me out sometimes. I'm just getting used to people calling me by my first name because for years I've just been screaming Tonjes from across the VidCon <laughs> floor. Oh, VidCon. I haven't been to VidCon. <laughs> oh, I haven't been there in a while. A really long time. We're not We're not big enough. We're not big enough. No. it's a, Listen, never was. But you know what? I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed the hell out of my 20s and I took all those free drinks. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I don't drink anymore. I became more of a... <laughs> <laughs> wacky tobacco type person it's uh same it's kinder it hurts less than drinking same. alcohol <laughs> yeah yeah but i lived it up man I, I spent a lot of time in those hallways in those hotels just having oh, heart to hearts my with God. creators and yeah well i mean let's get into it then um so tell people a little bit about like who you are and like what you do and your connection with me i'm curious your perspective on your connection with me Oh, well, yeah. Uh, my name is Megan Tonjes. I am a singer songwriter. I've been making YouTube videos since 2006. Um, at some point along the way, became a big advocate for body positivity, fat liberation, loving yourself, self-confidence, and uh, have somehow made a living as an artist for the past 15 years using the internet. Um, the connection between you and I is definitely a deep soulmate love connection mm -hmm. that was forged in a lifetime previous to this one. Um, but we initially met through YouTube uh, at making music together. Yeah. Talk about the beginning with YouTube, because mm -hmm. uh, we've all, uh, me and Joe Penna had the same experience where we had no idea what YouTube was when we signed up for it and got very confused and then figured it out. Was it the same mm -hmm. thing for you? It was, so I was in college and I, I grew up an internet kid. So I, mm. I was like writing fan fiction and making fan videos and like super deep into, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like, mm -hmm. I was just in it, making websites, all that stuff. And then I went to college and I started uh, going to school for digital media and YouTube popped up Facebook college book at the time, Facebook popped up. Wait, all it was sudden, called college book. Yeah, it was called College Book, I think. No, I, I think you just needed a college email to sign up. But only certain colleges were accepted. And my school was too small to be accepted. Oh, so I had no. to wait to get on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just the, I signed up for Facebook because it was that was post-college for me using my sister's email, college email address, because it was the only website that showed people's birthdays. And I was a club promoter. 
Me. Oh, there you go. I was a club promoter. No. I see it. Absolutely. Take it back. I want you to take it back right now. I was bad at it. I see it. it. I turned in my list and then I went home and went to bed. And I got a (laughs) I got a call from the from the main uh, guy. He's like, "Where are you? There's people here." I was like, "I'm in bed." He's like, "Get over here." (laughs) I thought I could just turn in my list, make my money, and leave. No, 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 not how it works. No, no. Um, you know, YouTube popped up, and I remember actually writing a paper about YouTube and how weird. I thought it was so odd how people were just, you know, I was deep into like, uh the panopticon and Foucault and like social, like security, like security cameras and how people act when they know that they're being watched. Like that. And then YouTube popped up and all of a sudden it was kind of like, okay, uh, this is odd that people are just sharing their lives like this. This seems, this seems risky. And then lo and behold, I picked up a guitar, started teaching myself how to play music and was like, well, what if I put up a few videos? Mm -hmm. And so then began, you know, the journey. I do know. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what it was going to be. I, you know, pretty early on started going to the meetups. So I was, I was at like seven, eight, nine and eight, 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 and, um, just reckless, just driving across borders with people I didn't know to meet people on the internet. I mean, what a time. I know that's actually one of the things we were talking about with Joe was that like, we would just go somewhere be like, Hey, who's here? And can I sleep on your couch? And how actually absolutely dangerous, that yeah. was my first one was seven, seven, seven. Yeah. You got me. You got me. Ow. I did go to one in San Francisco, but I don't remember when that was the, um, as one or something like that, or probably yeah, <laughs> so much ego there. Probably. The way that I, I was poor though. I mean, majority of YouTube people think there's yeah. a lot of money in there and there can be, but for the majority, no, no. I, no. I attached to, there was a guy on Justin TV who was doing a summer rideshare program. So he would mm-hmm. go pick up anybody where they were and take them to where they wanted to go as long as they split gas and he was able to live stream them. And then he combined with a Super Bowl. Remember, there was like a Super Bowl ad that they were trying to do with a bunch of YouTubers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he attached to that to try and bring attention to the My Bowl ad. And we were going to drive 50 states. Uh and then end up at the at the meetup in new york and we got to about butte montana when we realized we were not going to be able to do that we ended up burning it to chicago where my parents are taking a plane one couldn't get on the plane so we had to wait at the airport then we crashed on someone's floor they had like a 800 square foot apartment Mm -hmm. and um then the guy who was doing the summer rideshare program didn't like that I was getting more attention than him and just left. So that I'll, there I am on the other side of the country yeah, with no ride and no money. Abandoned. A very classic internet experience, I feel like. Is it? I hope it not. Is. That was awful. I do think, I think, listen, you know, friendships and connections are tested on the road for sure. I'll tell you. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I, you know, what a, what an early, what a, what a time in our lives when my back would even sustain me sleeping on couches and people's floors. <laughs> Not but, anymore. And you know what? I can't even say that anything's changed for me because when I left LA last year and at driving across the country, I still went and stayed with people that I knew on the internet, but I hadn't met in real life. So clearly I didn't <laughs> learn my lesson and it all worked out for me and I'm alive. You are. None of we, there were some close calls, I'm sure, but. Oh, listen, there's some there's some places me and, and friends on tour have stayed that were like, we can never nope. we can never do that again. Nope. 
So you were were you were you playing music before YouTube or did you learn it specifically to like jam on YouTube? No, I think I think when I started YouTube, I was right at the beginning. Like maybe I was a few months into teaching myself guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those the first stream of videos are just I don't even introduce myself. It's just me playing a song that I wrote and I'm like three or four months into mm-hmm. playing. And then uh, eventually it became me talking more me realizing that there was a lot of back and forth in the comments, um, getting messages from people that looked like me that wanted to do music that didn't feel comfortable with the comments that I got or that they would get. And so I think that was the beginning of the spark of like, let's create a fat girl collab channel and let me talk about things that I've never, I've never spoken about. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at the trajectory of things because I wasn't someone even though I was like, you know, I was a somewhat confident little theater kid, nerd, music, you know, lover, but um, I wasn't wearing bikinis. I wasn't wearing shorts. I wasn't showing my arms. And then so like to see zero to a hundred with all of a sudden my ass is on the internet mm-hmm. and I'm telling people to wear crop tops. A lot of those things I was doing and saying for the first time in my life, it was, but I just felt like, oh, this is, this feels right. This feels like I can grow into this. This feels like the direction that I want to be going in and that I feel is you know, it just makes sense to me, even if my body's not there yet with accepting it or understanding it. And so mm-hmm. and without the internet, I don't know who I would be. Did So what inspired you to have that strength? Was it someone or was it just something that happened within you that you made a decision personally? I think it was as someone who was bullied and all of a sudden found myself in a space where I felt really connected to people. I felt really excited. I felt really creative. And then I saw other people not being afraid to do that because of how people would treat them. I just think the alarm bells went off in my head of like, okay, this is a place to mm-hmm. push back a little bit and be a little defiant and do things that scare me and, and be a little uncomfortable. Because at that time I felt like I have a good, fa- <laughs> I have a good family. I have a support system. Like, let me, let me go forward and, and just test out the waters. And uh, eventually, you know, I was deep in it. Yeah. So. But so to go back to the music stuff briefly. Yeah. You have, you got pipes, Tondras. You can sing your ass off. <laughs> and you're telling me that you didn't really like utilize that skill set before this time frame. Like you don't just all of a sudden realize, oh my God, I'm a great singer. Like there had to be times where you sang and you're like, oh, this is pretty good. Or someone affirmed that in you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like a movie where I'll okay. I, I open my mouth for the first time and you no one's ever heard You take off your glasses me. and all of a sudden you're hot yeah. and you can sing. <laughs> yeah. It's some kind of Mandy Moore movie for sure. I see myself in it. Um, I, with you. <laughs> I watched that movie a lot a as lot. a kid. Ooh, the idea of just showing up to the talent show and no mm. one knows, and then you just unveil it in front of the boy that's going to love you. Mm. I still jam out to Only Hope. I love that song. Oh. Ooh, and the original, the Switchfoot version, baby. Yes. I didn't know um, that was a cover. Was is that? It's a-, a cover. What? I didn't know that. Dive in. Switchfoot. That's a name I haven't heard in a minute. Yeah. A little, little Christian uh, rock music for mm. you, baby. Um, no, I grew up singing. Uh, I was always like in church choir or, I mean, there's pictures of me as a toddler with a fake mic, just walking around. I was always in the corner of my bedroom. I I found these old recordings of me almost like introducing as if I'm doing a radio show, like, and next we have Tanya Tucker singing. And then it would be me singing with no music behind me. And it was just, I was always into music. And then, um, 
you know, I, in high school and stuff, I would be in theater. I would be in, uh, I was in choir. Um, I was doing solos. I was on stage singing rent, you know, Mm -hmm. just out here doing it. And so I was known as being the singer for sure. But, um, once I, once I started teaching myself guitar online and writing songs and going to coffee houses and just kind of beginning that journey, um, it was a whole different world. I never, I never assumed I could do music as a living. I always thought the only way you can do music, it would be like on Broadway. And I don't have one of those voices. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't, I like singing, but it's not. And uh, I think it's through the course of time that I've gotten better at doing it and knowing my voice more. And Who were the inspirations back then? Who did you, oh. did, anybody that you could think of? There's one person that I, that is popular now that I cannot stop listening to. And it's Yeba. She's just, I, uh, ah. Uh, Yeva. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeva is, I mean, just dude, yeah, inspires me. I'm like, I need to get my ass back in to to singing, singing, because I just feel like I want to go on tour with Yeva. I mean, I will literally bring food to everybody to be a fly (laughs) on the wall in that room. But back then, who were who who were you? uh... Back then, I was really (laughs) I was really into Jason Mraz, Tristan Prettyman, Gavin DeGraw. Um, I mean, Sarah McLaughlin, I really like like songwriters. Mm-hmm. I was really drawn to like more acoustic style music. And, um, probably the, the early, I think one of the first songs I ever learned on guitar was Gavin DeGraw Chariot. <gasps> that was the first song I learned on piano. Yeah, yeah. I had the the stripped version of that album, which was, so I uh, went and bought the regular version and then they came mm-hmm. out with the dual but for some yeah. reason, that was the same price as the original one. I was like, ah, whatever, I'll support him twice. Why not? Yeah. So listen, I was I was deep into Gavin DeGraw. Um, and yeah, I just whenever I, there, those are Tristan Prettyman was the first. It was funny because I signed up to do like my college radio station, which was just this little room in a basement and no one listened to it and no mm-hmm. one knew what was going on. But I pitched myself as like, I could, you know, I'll come for an hour every week and play music. And I would go on MySpace and I would find artists that I like and I would send them a message saying, hey, can you send me like a demo? And sometimes I would get free music. And Tristan Prettyman was one of those artists where an album showed up. And I just, the idea that someone that didn't have, she didn't have this crazy belting voice she, it was very soft. It was very tender. It was just very almost like spoken. I think that just opened up a world to me of, oh, you can write your own music and you don't have to have a specific kind of voice and you can do it yourself. And so are you an alto? I am an alto, that- but I'll get that first soprano. God damn it. Because I was a, <laughs> I was a first soprano yeah. when I started and then I was a second alto by the time I ended. But I can still hit those high notes when I need to. Well, yeah. So music, pop music, by and large, is not catered to someone with your voice or my voice, like the real, the like the top forty stuff that you hear, because it's a lot of just belty stuff and high register stuff. I'm also able to hit those notes, but because my my comfortable range is so far from there that I can just flip mm-hmm. the falsetto and make it sound pretty enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like whenever I would do covers on YouTube, I, especially like Bruno Mars, I would have mm. to transpose down like a step and a half, two steps <laughs> to be able yeah. to sing the whole song. There was one yeah. time I was recording Madness by Muse. Remember I was doing all that acapella stuff mm-hmm. and I didn't listen to the whole song. And I got to the point where it's like, and I was like, oh, 
what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> False setup. Gotta go down. <laughs> <laughs> Drag it all the way down. I'd already done most of the arrangement and uh, recorded it. So skip the bridge. Skip the bridge. We learned. We learned. I just <laughs> we did a lot of layering and a lot of airiness yeah. and reverb and stuff like that. Yeah, I just yeah. I mean, I think a, a big part of this process was figuring out my voice, and I'm still figuring out my voice because you know your voice changes and the way you sing changes and the way I write has changed. And so I'm just, you know, I'm on the journey. I think it's, uh, I think what I've discovered is being an artist or being creative, it's a lifelong thing. It's continuous. And also what's really made me, you know, cause I took a break from music for a while. What's really made me and just like reminded me that, Oh no, this is a part of who you are is the fact that I have hundreds of voice notes of me late at night, recording ideas, um, ad living to chords that I'm playing that if I sat down could be an entire thing and I'm doing it when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not doing it to show anyone. I'm doing it for myself. And so to me, if you're doing something without even the intention of showing it to anyone, it's like a compulsion that you have to do creatively. There's something in that, that you're, you're here to share that in some kind of way, or there's a purpose to that for sure. It's hard when it becomes your business. Cause I had a record. You do deal. not make money in music. No. <laughs> no. I, when someone's like, I got a record. Deal, I was like, cool. That doesn't really mean a whole lot right now until you actually yeah. like, and I had a record deal before YouTube. And then when I started doing music full time, it just robbed me of my joy. I got yeah. so burnt out and I have not really sung since, but I'm starting to get that itch a little bit. And it's because I'm no longer wanting to do it for the attention or the uh numbers or anything like that it's just because you're yeah you're com you're compelled to do it because yeah. it's really a part like there's people most people now don't know that i sing when they hear me sing on social media they're like wait what because you get so far away from that have you had that since you like <clears throat> you know when you kind of moved away from music and and built this whole yeah. audience based around your personality more yeah, I think that there's, it's interesting. You see the where it crosses over and where it doesn't, that there mm -hmm. are some people that know me just for music and nothing else. People that know me for just body positivity stuff, but not music. People that found me recently that have no idea that I've been doing stuff for as long as I have. And so I'll put up something of me singing and they just, they're blown away mm -hmm. by, why are you hiding this? And you're like, no, I got 15 years of this. There's no hiding it. <laughs> It's I'm like if you don't post it, it doesn't count or something like that. I was like, no, we all have private lives. Right. So it, it I do see where it crosses over and where it doesn't. Um, and it's interesting. I, I think that I think that's exciting, too. I don't take that so much as I'm doing something wrong. I think some creators are very like they just want to bridge everything together to make it make sense. And I found that that's just given me a lot of frustration and anxiety over the years of trying to make everything fit into a certain box. And what I found works better is to just lean into what you enjoy as you enjoy it. And the people that will find you will find you and maybe they'll come over to the other stuff or maybe you'll lean back. And it's just it's it has to have a little bit more flow, I think, than well, you have to we want to you have to love it because you and I know so well how often your content will fail or people won't like it. And if you mm -hmm. don't like it, you will quit. But if you love it you'll be willing to push through because you believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Those times where you're not going to get views or the subscription box is broken or whatever, or the algorithm moves away from your favor. You really got to love it to be able yeah. to repeat it enough to be successful at it. So what, yeah. what was that moment like for you where you kind of 
went from just mm -hmm. recording songs and like not really getting much traction to like actually starting to recognize that there was a possibility of success musically on YouTube? I just, uh, it's so, it, it's, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because sometimes I go back and look at videos and I'm like, he's had a lot of views compared to like what I've seen now. And at the time it didn't feel mm -mm. like as massive as I can look back and be like, oh, wow, that was, that was pretty good for the, the beginning of the internet, my dude. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> Like what was the, what what was the moment where like you had your first mm. started to have your first bit of success and you started to yeah. see YouTube as a possible avenue to grow a music career for you? I think the Ellen thing was the moment where all of a sudden I was just like, wow, we are on so a you, ride right now. So talk about the Ellen show and like what led up yeah. to you being on there. So I was doing this series called Request Tuesday, which just started out as, you know, I love a project. I love like a, let me just jump into something for a year and do it every week. You know, let me, uh, for me, it was just, I was at the beginning of learning how to play. And so I thought this is, a, this is a good way to engage people. Like, let me see what songs you guys want to hear. And then I can learn these chords and we can share it and it's fun. So I started doing that, doing a lot of covers. Um, those would get traction. Some of those artists would respond or reach out and, at a certain point, I did this cover of, it was like a mashup of a Bruno Mars and a Britney Spears song. And I got an email from the Ellen DeGeneres show. And I thought it was fake. I was like, there's just no way. This mm -hmm. makes no sense. I'm living in middle of nowhere, Michigan. I've never been to Los Angeles in my life. I, you know, I'm not, I've never been on TV before. This doesn't make any sense. So they reached out. I thought it was fake, but I got on the phone with a producer who was asking a bunch of questions and Within a few days, I was being flown out to L.A. secretly um, and I got to I didn't meet Ellen or anything beforehand. I can't, you know, it's everything was so surreal. It's like getting in a car and being brought to a lot and being put in a, a backstage room. And I, I just I didn't eat. I couldn't focus. I didn't even know what I was going to be able to play, what they could clear for me to play in the show. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm used to looking at chords on a screen. I got to memorize this for a live audience. And uh I walked out, I got to meet Ellen. I s somehow managed to work my way through actual sentences talking about being bullied on the internet and the, the you know, uh, the realizations and the experiences that I'd had. And then I got to sing and it was so quick and it felt just out of, like an out of body experience. And then after the show, well, at the end of my segment, Ellen sort of announced that they were having Adele come back the, within a few months and they were going to bring me back out to, to see her. And th during the questions with producers, they'd asked me, you know, who are you listening to? What, like, what artists do you like? And I had said, you know, this was like 2011. I said, there's this, there's this British artist. I really like, uh, there's this, there's a smaller UK artist named Adele. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I've been really listening to her. I think it was 19 was the album at the time. Yes. Um, and so she was just about to break, in the US and released her album. And so I came back, got to watch her uh, do her sound check. They recorded us meeting and there's this moment because nothing has any sound on it, but she's in front of the microphone. And there's this moment where Ellen goes up to her and says, you know, we have this, this girl here, Megan. And she looks at me and she goes, oh yeah, I know her. Because, <gasps> because, 
because the internet was so small that I had done a few covers and, you know, it's like he's getting tweeted. You were also really talented enough for them to pay attention to you. Do you think Adele was just chilling, watching YouTube all the time? No, I don't. I don't, but it was surreal. And then we sat, we just, it was like me, Ellen and Adele talking. Adele was talking <sighs> about how she, like how she hates flying. And I handed her a CD at some point. I don't even, I was beside myself. Yeah. Um, and you know, I am, you know, I'm just gonna say, she's got a song that starts out with hello, it's me. And I'm just saying, I gave her a CD with a song about hello, <gasps> it's me again. I'm calling to hear. Are we going to sue Adele now? We're not going to sue. Oh, Adele. okay. We're not. We're not doing that. That's She's a favorite a thing to do. national treasure, so. Would never. Listen, you can you have that opening line all you want, babe. Take it. <laughs> no one's ever said hello to start off a song either. <laughs> no, Lionel. no one's ever pretended they were having a phone call at the beginning <laughs> of the song. It's completely unique to me. Um, but yeah, that was that was the beginning because I remember being in the airport and seeing I didn't see the episode, but seeing the reaction online and seeing subscribers grow and seeing all of these creators that I knew supporting me. And it was just the beginning of uh, creators being on that show. And it just it was a really special, surreal moment. But it was definitely the beginning of, oh, maybe I should move to L.A. Maybe I should, mm-hmm. you know pursue this yeah that that was the first time i remember feeling like oh there's a lot of people watching me all of a sudden and i have to reintroduce myself in some ways but also i mean it was exciting it felt like okay all these things that i want to do now i have a bigger group of people following me to go through it and so i had been touring me and uh mike felzone had been touring and doing things and in so many ways you know i was pursuing this but in my mind, it really, I wasn't thinking about it like, oh, I'm going to become a big musician and that's what I want to do for a living. It was just, I kept leaning into the thing that felt like fun and possible to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't know where it was going to end or what it was going to do. So um, that, I, I think that was the beginning of me looking at it and thinking, oh, maybe I can make a living doing this. When the all the attention came from the Ellen, you did talk about bullying. Did the bullying escalate with all that extra attention or was it? was it not really that big of a difference? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't, I know that it definitely ramped up at that point, but I don't even think of that as the point where it really just crossed the line. I would say that like 2016, there was an era of obviously talking about political stuff and talking about um, social justice and, you know, just being a fat person on the internet that all of a sudden there was a change in the YouTube community. Hmm. Um, it had used, you know, listen, there were a lot of things happening that weren't so supportive from the beginning, but all of a sudden there was this draw to the drama of things. There was mm-hmm. this, let me make a 30 minute video breaking down every second of your video and telling you that you're trash and how disgusting you are and sending my audience, but not really sending my audience. You know, there was a lot of that. I think 2016 was when I started, it was beyond bullying. I, I think I could, I could handle the mean things that were being said. Um, I mean, I definitely went through a period of time where it did not feel so easy to go through that. Um, but it was for me, it's been the doxing and the threatening and the um, the escalation of it in that way that I think has played a big part in me maybe backing away from talking so openly on the Internet about stuff or just being a little bit more to myself. Um because I had people sending stuff to my apartment. I had people live tweeting my address. For had, what, I mean, though? Just, what were they so pressed about? I don't know. I, I I couldn't I couldn't always track what specifically I had said that had pissed that person off or mm-hmm. what the reaction that they wanted was for me. 
I've gotten emails from people that think we're in relationships. They think that I'm speaking to them through my songs, through my videos I've never met. Um, Just like stuff that is really hard to understand how to handle. And also we live in a world where nothing's caught up with anything. So it's like you you go to the police and you say, okay, I'm being threatened or harassed. They're like, well, get off the internet. And you're like, my whole, my whole (laughs) life is on the, like my whole job is on the internet. There is no, there is no getting off. You don't go to work then. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's like living in Los Angeles, right? You, there's all these websites that aggregate your information and your address um, addresses of people that, you know, or that you live with. There are business websites that treat like if you're if you're a business in in, in L.A. County, um, it, there's websites that will pull that information and treat it as if you're a, like a restaurant that someone could walk into. And so there were just emails that I had to send and, th- and people that I had to text behind the scenes to just like try to make everyone safer or try to give a heads up to people. And listen, that was also a benefit of moving. I was like, let me just get off the map here yep. because I don't want it. Yeah. So you talk about getting bullied as a fat person. What's, oh, yeah. What is that? What is that? Like, what is your experience? Like if, if people, if you could give oh, yeah. people an insight on what it's like to get to be a fat person on the internet and get commentary about it. Like what, what is it like going through that? You know, I I think there's a range of things that happen that you, you you have to be sort of prepared for that. I, you know, I had had some bullying as a kid, but I still was, it wasn't to the level of the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, it, it can start off really subtle. I wouldn't, I'm, this is not bullying for me. I think this is just more projection. People walk in and they're like, oh, I could never wear that. Oh, I could never, like that, that, are, that's not really that flattering. You know, like they just sort of like pick at the things that you're doing. Which you're is just so very, brave. Oh <laughs> man. The second someone said that uh, to me, I was like, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> you're so brave. You're so brave, but I get it. I, I, re- I receive that because um, I've been in that space and, and I understand what it's like to look at someone and be like, oh my God, I don't know how you do it, mm-hmm. knowing everything. Um, but, you know, it goes to a place. It's like you got people writing paragraphs to you about how you should, you know, you should end your life, how you're disgusting, how no one could love you. How could your parents love you looking like that? Um, who would, you know, assault you? Who would, you know, it's just, it goes to places that it's just all of the darkest things people think about themselves um, and they have a, a space where they can say it without any repercussion. Um, so it's, yeah, it's every possible dark thought you could ever have about yourself multiplied by a hundred mm-hmm. and in disgusting detail laid out in your comment section. And there's an element of, there's a real excitability about, I got your attention. Mm-hmm. I've ruined your day. I may, I, I threw you off your game because the thing is attention is attention. And if you're not getting it for leaving a positive comment, you surely might for leaving a negative one. And it still feels like power. Cause it is. And like yeah. you're, uh, you, you like me have uh, a tendency for cla- <laughs> clapping back. <laughs> no matter how much you know that clapping back at that person is exactly yeah. the opposite of what you should do. Yeah, that was going to be the most that's going to be beneficial to you. I just can't stop myself, at least at that point in time. Yeah, I'm better than I was. I definitely choose peace more often than not. I go to write things. I delete them a lot more often than I used mm-hmm. to. I, I, I ask myself before I post something like from an outside perspective, am I saying do I 
am I really in control in this situation or am I hurt and just trying to like feel better? And that stopped a lot of responses for me, but I surely had a mouth on me and (laughs) I was like, I'm going to be funnier than you. First of all, I, Listen, you're not going to bully the bully, baby. Mm-mm. Okay, I, I'm a, I'm sitting here observant, and I I I got I'm dark sided. Okay, so I'm the poison of the internet community, and I got things to say. <laughs> I forgot about that. Someone <laughs> actually called you the poison of the internet community. I'm the poison of YouTube. I'm the biggest bully on the site, and you know what, baby, I'll live up to the name. Like, I you know I can be very cutting with the things I say because I've been cut so deeply. So I know I know how to wield that power. And so in a space where I don't know who you are, there have been moments where I'm like, I go in. Um, I used to do I would do these like ASMR comment responses where I was you know it's like the meanest comments I would get, and then I would just just soothingly tell you go fuck yourself, you know. <laughs> and it and it felt so good. It felt like okay. It felt you know this is this is the move, but. Um, Unfortunately, what happens is it starts to escalate and people want to one up you in ways that are scary. So I try to be a little bit more, you know, sly with my. Yeah. The de-escalate the situation. Um, but you <laughs> yeah. but uh, kind of in the same vein, you had that hashtag that was really popular for a while. The booty revolution stuff. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Like what happened and what it led to for you? I, (laughs) you know, I, again, a child who was never in bathing suits, was not in shorts, was pretty covered up, pretty modest, um, took a butt photo and I felt good about that butt photo. It's a good butt. I I posted it on the internet to my friends, you know, butt that had never been seen by the world. And it was a slow news day. Because that thing got picked up. It got, well, first of all, it got flagged as pornography on Instagram right. and taken down. And then me being defiant, loudmouth little self was like, I see butts. On, I see more than butts on this Internet all the time. And so what's different about my butt that all of a sudden it's, it's being flagged for things? And so, you know, I pushed back. I said something online and I remember being at big frame offices mm-hmm. with like Sarah and them and uh, Instagram. I, I was like doing some kind of interview with someone that had reached out. And in the middle of that, they, uh, they let me know that Instagram had released a statement apologizing mm-hmm. for removing the photo, that they were putting it back up. It had been incorrectly flagged. And that just opened up the gates of everyone that had an opinion about it. Um, but also I think the beginning of people realizing, oh, there's, you know, there's not a great system in place here to make sure that everyone can post things that are within the guidelines, but Mm -hmm. maybe don't, aren't so loved by everyone that's seeing them. Um, And, you know, got picked up by the news. All of a sudden I'm on the news. My parents are in the Midwest that have, you know, they don't know anything about this. And all of a sudden my ass is everywhere on Facebook and, (laughs) you know, defiant fat woman pushes back against Instagram. And it was, uh, I do remember at one point uh, going to visit my mom and I was, I had read the comments. I had read the comments on some of these things and I was used to internet, you know, mean comments. These were a whole other level. Yeah. And I I remember getting to her and just being really upset um, feeling kind of beaten down. And I remember my mom at the time, which was so, you know, a full circle moment for me. Uh, she was like, Megan, those people don't know who you are. Fuck them. 
And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They don't know who I am. Fuck them. <laughs> I love that. But I think that that was just, um, there was, it was a rocky time because as, as exciting as it was to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm making moves in this, I'm, I'm getting people to question themselves in a really powerful way that affects people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And I, and all of a sudden it opened, you know, I mean, and then it just kept coming. It was like, I talked about Ariana Grande licking donuts and talking about how it was because their kids were fat. And all of a sudden that video is, you know, up on all these different websites. And so it just, uh, I found myself every time there was something around weight or fatness or, uh, I, I was jumping into the fray to talk about, to just say, Hey, like fat people exist and we, and we love, and we have sex and we, um, we deserve to do the things that we want and we can be talented and we can be all of these things. And it was definitely in a frustrated sort of, it is most things are where you're just like, I wish the world would meet me where I'm at because it could be so much easier. Mm-hmm. It could just be so much lighter for everyone if we stopped having these conversations as if fat people can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think and, that you think that people think that fat people are incapable of the things that everyone else is? Yes, I think I don't think that I don't. Uh, listen, let me not make a blanket statement about that's a, a generic thing, but I think we are from the beginning told that fat people are to be made fun of, fat people are sick, fat people are uh, before, fat people are just waiting to be, you know, fixed in some kind of way or saved in some kind of way. And none of them can be happy and no one's really happy like that. And I think it just misses, it misses the, the real life experience, which yes, can include a lot of those things, but so much of that is external. So much mm-hmm. of that, it's not coming from, the call's not coming from inside the house. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, it's, yeah, it just, uh, it's always frustrated me. I always felt as a kid that I shouldn't be treated differently because I looked a certain way. I always raised my hand to tattle on someone that was telling me I was fat in the middle of class. Um, I always, yeah, I always met it with just sort of obstinate force of this. It's not okay. It's not right. I, I'm a person and I lead with my heart and my heart was on the internet talking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So. so say someone is watching and they're struggling with a lot of the ways society treats bigger people or um, the the experience, maybe experiencing some of the things that you have experienced with bullying or the way people treat you. What kind of guidance would you give that person in how to navigate that world in a healthy way or, or something that could help them? Yeah. The things that I did early on that I think really pulled me through where I really started to surround myself with the imagery of people that looked like me, that wasn't all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Um, I started going to events with other fat people. I started following fat people on the internet. I started just seeing that there's a, a range of experience that I haven't been shown on any of the media that I grew up with, that I was, I was sort of only told there's one way and that's to lose weight and to be smaller and then life starts and then you're happier. Mm -hmm. And so I think surrounding myself with, with, um, imagery was really helpful. I think, um, talking about myself in a way that wasn't expected, even if I didn't necessarily believe it, but I was intentional in not being my own worst enemy, my own biggest bully, Mm -hmm. that, that has definitely helped. And I also think 
taking yourself out of it just from like a bird, bird eyes perspective and seeing that none of these people know what the fuck they're doing. Not everyone that is talking, anyone that would like say something to you, they're, they have nothing in their life together. They are holding on by a string. They are struggling to understand the purpose of life and they are projecting so much of their own fears and, and pain on you. And so I think when you can sort of look at it is instead of being attacked that really so many people are in pain and they, they've never known different. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to walk through the world feeling like, okay, I don't necessarily have to have my guards up, but I do have to be aware that not everyone is moving in the same energy as me. And I could sit here for the, for the 80 or whatever years that I'm here, or according to the internet, I was supposed to die when I was like 31, but you know, still here. <laughs> you kicking did baby. it. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I'm still here loud and proud. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's a certain point where you get so sick of being treated a certain way that you have to decide I'm not going to treat myself this way. And if I have to walk through the world and no one understands why I'm moving with such lightness and such, such care for myself and, and such, um, confidence in what I can do, um, that has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I think a lot of times on the internet, people would come in thinking I was something wanting to comment a certain way and they would see me singing or they would experience it. And by the end of it, they would be like, Oh, actually I like this. Mm-hmm. This was, so I think also to my benefit has been the fact that people didn't expect me to be who I was. And because of that, they, they weren't prepared for it. Um, I think not stressing about that too is important because you can't do anything about people's preconceived notions. I heard a quote that's probably an old quote, but uh, other people's uh, feelings about me are none of my business. Just release yourself from that because it's not going to serve you. I also use the crab in the buck, crab in a bucket, crabs in a bucket. You know that one? Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. like those people, like a, if a crab tried to escape the bucket, the other ones would bring them down. And, and you just have to recognize that you're meant to lead, you're meant to ascend. And if other people don't like it, well, that sounds very much like a them issue, not a you issue. Yeah. I think the reality is that you look back even historically, right? It's like people have always existed out of the time that they're in, in the ways that they saw themselves and what they were capable of. And no one understood it. But I, I think that there's a mentality there of just you have to, not that you're above anyone, but that there's something bigger that you're meant to do then be on this earth, be miserable and go. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I think that there's, there's, you know, okay. I love, I do love the quote about it's not my business, other people's, you know, Mm -hmm. feelings or expectations of me. And I think that unfortunately people do make it your business, but the, the moment of decision is in, do I keep carrying this with me? Like my own personal burn book, like an extra weight that I have to bring around with me, or do I just let that stay exactly where it is? And that's for them. Mm-hmm. It's like poisoning yourself, carrying that stuff around. They're not affected at mm-hmm. all, but you are. People say things and they move about their day, not even realizing they said things. And people that love you, by the way, <laughs> say things that they don't even realize the impact of. They have no idea. And you carry it with it. You carry it with you for your entire life. Do you have an poison. example of that? Uh, When I was 12 years old and I was getting bullied in middle school, I remember my mom saying to me, Megan, with the way you look, people are going to say things like that. And at the time, I received that in not a good way. 
um, in a very, like, you know, I wanted my mom to tell me you're pretty, you're perfect, you're beautiful, like you're loved. But then we cut, you know, uh, 15 years later and my mom's sitting there saying, fuck people, they don't know who you are. So mm-hmm. there's growth that had happened for her. And also in, in looking back at what she was saying, she wasn't wrong. Like that, that also is with the way I look, people will say and have said things. And um, I think understanding that now in the way that I do, it's, it, it, it could have been maybe delivered a little bit differently, but it definitely, it definitely gave me an insight into the fact that this is not just going to be a one day thing. This is something you're going to deal with for your whole life. It's ouchy guidance, but it's still guidance, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you can't see that until, you know, you hold it, you carry it for a long time. And eventually you just realize you have to, you have to let it go or you have to see it differently. And I think that's a lot of what this is. You either have to let it go or you have to look at it differently. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of therapy was for me is like just, um, (laughs) just one after another, just taking that stuff off of my stuff from middle school. I'm talking about stuff from middle school. I'm 40 years old, you know, like that stuff stays with you if you never let it go. And yeah. then it just accumulates and you get heavier and heavier and it's like harder to navigate life. Yeah, it gets tricky, dude. It really gets tricky. And there are still things that I'm sure I'm carrying that I will continue to learn to let go. It's you're never done learning the lesson. But um, it's, you know, I the older I get, the sexier I feel, the better, the more comfortable I feel in my body. The moments where I have where maybe I look, I look at something and I feel that initial... Um, you know, the, the voice in my head, that's not really my voice, but one that has just been crafted by everyone around me. Um, I find that the older I get and the more I settle into this, the quicker I am to hear that, but then to just kind of brush it aside is that's one opinion amongst many in my head. And Mm -hmm. that's not the most important voice that I'm listening to. So it's okay to feel that, but also to not accept that as the truth of the situation. I don't think I ever told you this, but I I mean, I, understand that my experience online is going to be a a lot less hectic in many ways because i um because i convent like the conventional idea of what attractive is yeah you're pretty for the world (laughs) thank you (laughs) but i uh, but what a lot of people don't know is like i've never liked my body i talk shit about myself to this day i don't Mm -hmm. like me because i allowed those voices to poison me and you were one of my biggest inspirations for pushing through that my whole my whole time of knowing you, you've always been an inspiration to me. And I realize I have never told you that. So I'm glad yeah. to have this moment to tell you now. I appreciate that. Man. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I didn't want to feel bad. What is OK? I'll just quiz you. What is our favorite subject to talk about together? <laughs> oh, do you mean the one that gets the most views? <laughs> <laughs> but also our favorite, my favorite. <laughs> We we definitely hit a stride with us talking about sex. Yeah, because I I think I don't know how much can I just can we just dive into okay whatever my what I remember is you were a virgin till you were like twenty six. I was. I don't think I've heard that, but from a few people, what was that? What was that like? I don't know how to ask this question. Like no, yeah, like what? Like why? It's because you're a sexy bitch. Like, wh- like right. you didn't want to have sex at any point in time. Like, okay. why wait so long? Here, here's what I've realized about my life and what I've accepted is that my shit does not happen in any particular order, it, or definitely not the correct order that you would assume. The timeline is different. 
my timeline is all switched up. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm not going to have my first boyfriend until my mid thirties. I'm not having sex until my mid twenties. Like I just, I'm all over the place, you know, but basically, you know, I grew up as a fat kid in the Midwest in the eighties. And, you know, I got to, I had crushes on people. I was very loyal in my crushes. Like I had a crush on this boy all high school that I was friends with. I had a crush on this guy that played guitar all college that, you know, and so I was, I was just enamored. And so it didn't leave a lot of space open for me to just sort of like experiment and fall into things. Um, And then when I was, you know, when I was 26, I had, you know, a semi-sexual experience with someone and I was like, I will be losing my virginity. Uh, and what I what I did was I literally like plucked this person. I mean, truly, I look back. I mean, I used to refer to him as Satan in the house. So yeah. it's like it's so the choices that I made, it wasn't the choice wasn't great, but the choice was available. Yes. And and I was at the right moment in my life to be like, let's do it. Let's jump in. So I went on tour. I did a cover of a Ron Pope song. Ron reached out to me. And happened, we became friends, but then he also happened to lose his opener on tour. And so he invited me. So I used that as an opportunity to drive across with them for a month, find an apartment in LA when I got there, and then start the whole process of moving. But there was a boy in LA that I knew I was going to touch naked. Mm-hmm. And so I I booked the hotel. I told him. This is premeditated. This is the show. Yeah, this was a premeditated <laughs> virginity loss. I told him, this is when the show is. Be there. I didn't put him on a guest list. I made that boy pay for a ticket. Okay. There's no special privileges here. And then I left that show pretending that we weren't going to the same place. Cause we had a bunch of friends around and I was like, I don't need anyone to know anything. Mm-hmm. I'm living a secret life right now. Went to the, like got a suite in a hotel, did what I needed to do. And, and got the next day I got picked up <laughs> by a friend and just, you know, went out into the world realizing that literally nothing had changed. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel different really in any kind of market way, but um, I had checked off something on a list that I hadn't experienced. And then, you know, began the me just making reckless sexual decisions in LA for nine years. (laughs) Right. And that, and that's the thing that always fascinated with me because you know, the usual story arc is girl meets the guy she loses her virginity to, and there's like a lot more attachment and they stick with that Mm -hmm. person. And you were like a little column, a B C, (laughs) etc. What, why do you think it was because you already had a fully formed frontal lobe by the time you had sex (laughs) for the first time or what, 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 what about you made that different where you're just like, you know what, instead of attaching, I'm going to go explore. Well, I mean, to be fair, I do think the fact that I kept sleeping with like L.A. fuck boys made it so that I couldn't really fall safely into my feelings. Was that, pur- was that purposeful? Oh, listen, we've done some deep diving on ourselves uh, in our 30s mm-hmm. and we've realized that, oh, we really loved like an emotionally detached producer. Hmm. Maybe it's because we're not emotionally open to things. Maybe, maybe that, even though, you know, this is the the analogy I always use. It's a lot easier to throw yourself up against a gate when you know it's locked. Ooh. And so like, I just think it's so much easier to, to desperately want something and to be hurt by something when you know that that gate's not opening. They're not letting you in. There's actually no danger of you experiencing the real thing. So you can go all out in the emotional experience outside the gate. I could tell you as a man who is emotionally available, 
communicates well, is consistent, and has been to therapy, I terrify women, terrify them. Like the last yes. girl I just ended things with, she was, I just looked at her, I was like, you're just not ready for me. She's like, no, you are so scary. I was like, what is scary about me? Like, I'm thinking all these like good things. She was like, yeah. I can't hide from you. And this is real. And I'm like, Oof. dude, it Oof. is because, you know, all of a sudden when someone's ready for, for what, you know, you think you want, and you realize, oh, if I step into this, I have to actually open myself up and be vulnerable. It's terrifying. And I and there is definitely some of that going on because now I'm just stepping into a mode where I'm more open to uh, that openness in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think I've, I would have been terrified of yeah. in my early 20s. It would have been like, oh, God, why does he like me so much? This is so gross. I can't. It's, you know, it. It just, I would have moved away from it, I think, and gone towards the emotionally unavailable person that didn't really want me, but kind of wanted me just enough. Um, and I think that's some of that's just a lesson you got to learn. Like you got to feel it in your body so that you can know what you don't want to do mm-hmm. or how you want to move differently. So it was an education in and of itself. But when I was in LA, listen, I was not having good sex. I was giving great blowjobs. <laughs> I was, listen, I was top notch giving great, doing great work. That gluck gluck, you got it down. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I got, we got, you know, I'm just, I'm focused. I'm attentive. Um, you know, we won't go too far into it, but (laughs) I, (laughs) I, you know, I was, I was showing up and was I receiving my own pleasure in the same way? No. Was part of that also because I wasn't actually really comfortable with those people and couldn't communicate that. And so I was willing to just parlay it and reposition it to the thing that I felt in control of that I could do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, was I still hurt and probably not communicating it in great ways? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, was I building people up in my mind to be something that they weren't based off a of hope of what they could be? Absolutely. Ooh, not you falling in love with potential. I've never done that either. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you have a, you have a vision in your head of someone and then they keep disappointing you and you keep reacting as if they're disappointing you as the person in your head. And it's not, there's just so much, if I could go back in time, but I, you know, it made me who I am. I just wish I could tell a younger me, just fucking relax, dude, just breathe and block them. Okay. And it's block not, them. it's not worth it because the way that you think you feel is not even about this situation. It's not even about them. It's you are just, you're spinning about in new things that you haven't felt before and you're afraid. So what did you, so what during that time of sex capades where you were exploring your, yeah. what it is that you enjoy, what was like the big lesson that you can look back at that you learned about yourself from instead of attaching exploring man um i think what i really you know recently like i have friends that do a lot of like sex and relationship style podcasts and in shows and so much of it i'm just like i feel so differently than a lot of the women that show up to talk about stuff like i just some of this is so boring to me it's just so like it's like what like, I mean, you know, there's so many conversations when people get in conversations about bisexuality and feel, you know, that this is one example mm-hmm. of like, I wouldn't date a bisexual man because it means this, this, and this, and then they'll cheat on me. And then they'll want like all of that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't move in that. Like if I'm with you and we're, I'm trusted, we're in it. I don't care who you're attracted to. Let's be attracted to them together, baby. Like, it's just like it, the idea of having more options means that you're not going to be loyal. That's really weird. It's a really it weird makes, mentality. But it's like it all comes from this fear and this insecurity. And so I, I think so much 
you know, listen, being fat and doing what I've done on the internet has definitely opened me up in ways to looking at, to feeling in my gut when there's just fear, there's just insecurity. It's not actually about what's happening and it's poisoned so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like the desire of what men should be or who women should be or what is it? I just, so much of that stuff. I'm like, no, I, whatever I'm in, I want to build with someone. Like I want it to be specific to us. I, you know, when I think about partnership or I think about, relationship, which I am not on dating apps. I am so content to like in my head, I'm like, I'm fine. If someone finds me, they find me. But other than that, I'm grateful to escape, escape all of these very stressful anxiety inducing steps that everyone seems to go through. That's not the best (laughs) to know. Yeah. Like I'm not sitting here dreaming about getting married or having kids or any of that. I'm like, I want to live in an apartment with a fucking view and write music in the corner of it and, you know, travel to see my friends. Like that's sort of where I am. But um, I've had experiences recently where I've opened up more to what I would be looking for and and what that feels like. And what I've realized is for me, it's so much about the friendship. It's so much about the um, feeling safe with someone to just express and, and, and fantasize together about what could be or what could not be problem solving together having space to be an individual, to not be like put into a box of, well, I always saw my life going this way. And so can I grab you and pull you into what I like at the core of it, just being able to talk to each other about anything and not be so beholden to what everyone else thinks a relationship should be in the order of it, what it means and what it doesn't mean. Like I'm looking for, if I'm looking for anything, it's great love. And that's in regards to people, friendships, uh, desire, mm-hmm. work, all of that. So I don't think any of that can fit in a box. No. Uh, what One of the videos that we did back at that point in time, I don't know if that was the video that I never released because Wrigley was in it, um, was about trying to navigate dating apps or dating in general as a fat person and questioning whether someone is f- fetishizing you or just appreciating yeah. you. Say someone else is struggling with something like that. Like, what did you do in order to navigate that complicated situation? <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop sleeping with men. <laughs> We're no. the worst. No, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad, man. Yeah. Um, it, oh, I think what I've learned, and you know, and listen, and that still was something I was working out in my head too, because there was that desire to not be fetishized, but. I, I think the core of that was just the fear of being put into a box that I, I wasn't really built for, or that someone had an idea or a fantasy about me that I couldn't live up to. and was based on a part of my body. Like I was looking more for, I just want to be, yes, you be attracted to me and, and have things that you like about my body, but understand that there's a lot more than just that. And that's not enough to sustain anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just a desire to be seen. Not, uh, for, not used. Yeah, not just like picked apart parts of you that I enjoy that I can focus on. Like that is part of the whole picture. And so yeah, that was something I was still figuring out at the time. And, you know, we'll probably always be in some way figuring out. But, you know, I, I, dating apps is a fat per- Dating apps in general are just a hellscape that, you know, it's not a good it's time. Ex- it's a deep exfoliation. It, it's like YouTube comments but like very directly sexual. It's like, I, you know, I would, I mean, I blocked out a lot of it, but I used to screen cap a lot of conversations that would start off with someone immediately wanting to talk about sexual stuff with me, immediately what they want to do. And then if they didn't get a positive response 
or if whatever, it would just devolve so quickly into, I don't even like you, you fat bitch. You're just, you know, it's like, it just. Mm, they would find it, something. If you didn't reciprocate the energy they wanted you to, yeah. they would then attack your body. Even though yeah, yeah. they were initially wanting to have sex with you, it makes no sense. So it just, it makes everything feel like you can't trust anyone that's approaching you in any kind of way. And so I do think from that, I definitely value the building of a friendship first. And I say this, this is a new era for me because truly I was like fucking people the first time I met them in LA. So you're, it's you're, like, you know, you're learning, you're learning. Yeah. yeah. We were, I, I had never experienced being desired before mm -hmm. and I was trying to explore that and lean into it. And do I think I probably dissociated from my body during a lot of it? I do. Do I think that I was working through a lot of trauma? Mm, I do. Was it in a good way? No. <laughs> But I, I still I still have time to in relationship heal some of that stuff. And um, I, I have faith that that's coming for me. So, um, you know, but yeah, dating, dating in L.A. and dating on dating apps is a mm -mm. that um, I do a lot of women reach out like, how do we get men to open up? Like, why aren't men opening up? And I was like, listen to how you just said that. Like if someone was really struggling to open up and this applies, this is genderless. If, the, mm -hmm. if someone's struggling to open up and you're screaming at them to open up to you, I was like, think about it as a shelter dog. Cause I used to work at a shelter with yeah. shy and abused animals. And yeah. it's just like, if you walked into a shelter and the dog didn't run straight up to you, would you scream at them? No, mm -hmm. you would be like, okay, I need to create space. Now apply that same mentality to the person you want to open. Like, why do we treat dogs like this, but we can't treat humans like this, you know? I, but I think there's a lot that we could learn by really just watching, honestly, animals and kids. Mm-hmm. I used I the same just, training techniques from animals for when I was a stepdad. I used the same thing. <laughs> there's just, there's so much, there's so much purity in it. And there's, and there's something that if you can just lean into it and watch what's happening and just keep yourself calm in a situation and just like, just observe, just be there, be steady, be consistent, be be okay with being in that corner by yourself. I just think that we could do that a lot more for each other in all kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes it's just, that's what creates the safety. That's what creates the space. Um, and it's hard to go and demand something that you want in the way that you want it right away when everyone's on their own journey. And sometimes you just need to be able to sit around each other in silence for a little bit to get used to each other. And I think that's what why therapy is so important. So like the therapy that I dove into was deep trauma therapy. And yeah. a trigger is an unprocessed traumatic memory. So when you process that, that's where you get that peace, but you don't have the peace because when that trigger happens, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know what it is. So you just freak out. And that's why I just really advocate people dealing with those aspects because on the other end is emotional regulation and control yeah. over how you react to things. And I think like getting used to what I'm realizing, what I'm experiencing lately is the feeling of being, when you get to a place where you start feeling like I can say the thing, like, I don't have to be so scared about your reaction because I don't have to say it in an adversarial way. I don't have to, it doesn't have to be, I can legitimately just talk about right now. I'm feeling this way. I'm hearing this thing. I, maybe I'm shutting down, just saying it out loud to someone else to just give them an understanding of how to sort of move in the situation actually provides a lot more peace, but it can feel like the scariest thing to do to mm -hmm. communicate that because you're also now worried about the other person's reaction. And so when you 
can find. And again, some of this stuff is not, it has to happen in friendship first. It has to happen in other relationships for you to experience just a little bit of what it's like to be seen by someone and heard by someone and not, uh, you know, completely derailed. And then you start getting a little bit more confident in sharing that with someone that you might have a romantic connection with, because you're also learning that I'm going to be okay, regardless. I was fine when I got here. And so anything that comes out of this is extra, but if I'm going to go into it, let me be the most real version of myself that I can be so that we're not three years into this, realizing that we never, we, we were dating the idea of each other because we were too scared to scare each other off. Fuck, I'll scare you off, dude. If it's scare, <laughs> if it scares you off, then it's not it. It's yep. not going to go well for us. So that's why, yeah. Recently, I've been having where it's just like you're having all these intense conversations early on, and you're just sort of like getting to know each other as friends. Um, it's and the I diff- think that's- It's the difference between dating and courting. Dating, you just do and you have fun, and, and yeah. courting has a purpose. And like, yeah. that's, that's how I came so quickly to understand that the last person I was dating, it wasn't going to work out with. I was like, okay, I had a discussion about this once. I had a discussion about this again. <clears throat> they mm-hmm. didn't change their behavior or they're unable to change their behavior. I mm-hmm. see them for where they are. And I just accept that it's not going to work out and move on. Yeah. It's when people, and no, one, no one's it. a bad person. No. Yeah, no one's a bad person. That's, we just, again, when we're talking about animals and babies, it's like, we also have to understand that we all are like, we're little kids. A lot of us inside are just, it's like, we're having tantrums mm-hmm. and um, the adult part of us is the one that has to figure out how to translate what the baby's actually saying so that we're not just screaming at the dinner table for no reason that at some point we can figure out how you're going to eat this food and what it is that you actually want. Yep. Um, so what's the next but, steps then for you? Like what's the, the what's the future, Tanjus? I know, right? I wish I could tell you. Well, what do you want? Oh my God, I just want peace, dude. Isn't it? Um, it's that simple. I don't live in the middle really, of downtown anymore. I hear birds chirping. I watch the sunrise. I went to therapy. I snuggle my dog. I go to bed right. early and I am content. Right. I just want, well, you know, I, so I came home and the plan was, I truly thought I'm going to unpack my car. I'm going to hang out for a few weeks and then I'm getting back on the road. I'm going to go visit Hank Green in Montana. I'm going to go visit all these other, I'm going to go see people I, w- I wasn't able to see for years. And then I got here and my back went out like oh, bad. No. <laughs> bad. And so, you know, and I, so I was struggling with that. I just had one health thing after another when I got back and I was like, okay, so clearly the universe is telling me to sit my ass down because, um, you know, it's not the time and winter came. I watched one YouTube video about sewing I bought a sewing machine. Oh, clearly. I uh, went on a deep rabbit hole dive obsessively and within a week had an Etsy store and started making these bags. And so now it's like what, seven months later, I've sold, I've made, I've handmade and sold like 1200 bags. Whoa. Yeah, dude. That's Oopsie so bagsy. cool. Oopsie. Oopsie. Ba- so if people want to find it, where do they go? Oopsie Bagsy on Instagram. Um, How do you spell that? O O P S I E B A G S I E. Oopsie bagsy. That's so cute. That's so Isn't dope. it real cute? Touches, I love that. It's real cute. And, you know, it's one of those things where I just did it to see what I was just like, I'm obsessively making these. Let me just figure out, a, I'll put them up and maybe a few people will buy them. And in my head, I thought, I'll just release a new one every day. That's fun. And then it just it, it took off and people were very supportive. It's so. got to be so satisfying. 
Dude, it's not, you know what it is too? It just reminds me what it confirmed for me because regardless of if it ends tomorrow or not, like it was a success. First of all, I made more money doing that than I did in 15 years of AdSense, so, right? <laughs> which is, which is not saying anything. Truly, I could have made like a thousand bucks and been like set on, right. on YouTube AdSense. Um, but for me in the moment, cause I was like looking back at old journal entries and stuff from, from six months ago and it rem- the feeling I had in my stomach was the same feeling I had when I started making music on the internet, which was just an excitement about the possibility of what it could be, but not an attachment to what it needed to be. Like there was just something that felt exciting to lean into and then whatever it was, it was. And, um, what that, that just, I think reminded me that, Ooh, when your stomach, your intuition is telling you to just, just try something, just, just move in that direction. You just never know how it's going to happen. And sometimes it, it just, it goes really, really well, dude. You are, and exp- so it makes- you are experiencing my Etsy store right now. This is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I finally got around to removing things that didn't serve me anymore, that didn't excite me anymore and made room mm-hmm. for something that you didn't know was going to work out, but that was going to fill your cup. And that's so much more important yeah. than money. Yeah. And and I, and I think it excites me because it's like, well, now there's nothing that I can't do. Like every time I find something that I really creatively love and I dive into it, I figure out a way to do it and it works out. And so it makes me excited for all the other things that are on my dream to-do mm-hmm. list and also not so much in a hurry. Cause you know, there've been times where I'm like, I want to write a book and I'm like 27 years old. And I think that everything that's happened is going to happen. And then a decade goes by and I'm like, Oh my God, thank God I didn't write a book because actually so many things have, I mean, even recently I had dinner with my dad after not speaking oh, for years. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, we didn't even get into that. That's a whole other. Oh my God. Can of worms. Like I just, yeah, I didn't speak to my dad for eight years. I was disowned and I, man, I love being disowned. I'll tell you what, that was, there's something easier. <laughs> there's something easier about being just disowned. It's just, it's a nice little, little gig, but recently had dinner with him, like uh, broached the subject just to make peace enough for my nephew, knowing that one day I'll write a memoir and I'll tell the truth. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those are things I never would have done even a few months ago, but I think it's all of just like, as I'm letting certain things go, as I'm realizing that I've, I've, taking care of myself for a long time. And I'm going to, I'm okay. Like I, I don't have to care. I don't have to be stuck in this space for forever. I don't have to let go of what happened. I, but I can, I can ease it for myself so that I'm not just constantly living in this loop of the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of that happening for me and I'm glad I didn't write a book because whatever I do end up making or writing one day will be from a perspective of someone who's not just experienced the thing, but actively tried to heal and move through the thing and might actually have a perspective that's helpful, um, not just in a connective way of we went through the same thing, but I also navigated this and got back to safe land. Mm -hmm. I think, but I'll push back on that a little bit because I think in 10 years, you'll probably look back at you now like you'd look back (laughs) at you 10 years ago. Absolutely. And we got to then we'll have to write a second book. It's fine. Listen, you should have just wrote it and then you can correct it and then you'll correct it 10 years from now. No, I would have probably I would have written a book telling you how to become big on the Internet. And the minute I published it it would have not made any sense because everything would have changed. Any of those documentaries about like YouTube (laughs) that were so irrelevant by the time they came out. It's like, don't even bother making these anymore. And none of them were 
weren't even that honest. None of them were as honest as they could have been because we all knew the vision of what some of those things were supposed to talk about. And then we saw what happened and that was not, I, that was I, not We all know your favorite creators and we know exactly how they actually are. But. Ooh, listen, we all, I am on some shit lists with some big creators who, you know what? I'm fine to be on the shit list because you really, uh, you were dangerous to yourself and other people, my guy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, and uh, I can I, think of three. I can think of at least three right now off the top of my head that I couldn't say because I wouldn't even want their fans to come at no, me. No, not worth it. But I've it. got listen. I've gotten some progressively more scary, drunker voice notes and messages from people that really tried to come at me, and I'm not to be come at. That same person that sent you the drunk messages the first time. Well, I'm thinking about someone else too. There's there's the drunk messages, and then there's someone else who was like. You poured hate into my life, who is literally the, you know. The oh, demon, so. my goodness. Well, yeah, it's fine. Listen, if you don't see me talking to people, no, it's for a reason. OK, well, just keep talking to me, please, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I promise not to do mean things. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I accept it now. But um, yeah, it's it's just changed a lot, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, God, like every day I'm like, can is there anyone on the Internet that's not a fucking predator or like, like just like like deeply traumatizing no. to people like god bless it's possible i believe in it i believe in it too but um we've i mean we've just been here since the beginning of time so it's like you just see <laughs> a lot of journeys dude yes okay so you could go you could talk to baby tantra's 2006 starting her content creation journey and you give her one bit of advice or guidance what do you say to that person Mm. I say, mm, do it big, put it all out there. Don't hide from the scary emotions and the things that, you know, you're unsure if you should say, like, just say it because at the end of the day, knowing that you would do it differently is the lesson and having felt what it feels like to be that open and that vulnerable and that just, you know, like, tender about stuff is something that you'll never experience in quite that way again, or feel maybe as safe to do in that way. And so give yourself the gift of having, um, an archive of what it was really like to be in your twenties, in your thirties, experiencing things and navigating them without a guide. Mm -hmm. um, because it will be it. First of all, it'll be a guide for other people, which is nice, but more importantly, it really shows you the scope of not only who you were, but who you're becoming. And that's, that is a gift. Like as cringeworthy as some of it is, as you know, much as I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I need every video that 19, 20 year old Tanjas put out in the world. There's something that's really beautiful about how innocent it was to just think of something, make it and put it out without overthinking it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Love it. All right. So people are inspired by you. They want to reach out to you and tell you what an inspiration they are. Yeah. Where do they do that? Listen, you, there's not a lot of Megan Tonjuses in the world. So, but it's, it's, me, it's a GH Megan, just so yeah, you guys know. It's a Meg Han. Meg Han. Uh, Meg Han Tones. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on YouTube, though I haven't been as active, but you know, I'll be back at some point. Some when point. I, 
when I remember how to make stuff, it's not 15 seconds long. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, check out Oopsie Bagsy on Instagram. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's awesome. So I got waterproof lining, make little toiletry bags, little travel bags, baby. You'll, I'm never going to be tempted by a Target travel section again. Love that. Love that. All right. So on my Patreon, we got a lot of people who uh, are obsessed with you and have a few questions. Are you down to answer a few of them? I'm always down. Okay, so if you guys ever want to ask questions to your favorite creators, um, mm -hmm. I upload these uh, behind the scenes and Q&As over on Patreon, patreon.com slash unfilteredfriends. It's a way to support the podcast. Uh, so we're going to do that now, but thank you so much, Megan. I knew this conversation was going to be amazing. <laughs> we could talk forever. We could, and we have, and we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Thank you, Megan Tonjas, for being on Unfiltered Friends. If her story inspired you, reach out to her, Megan Tonjas, on all of the socials. Also, check out her brand, Oopsie Bagsy. A few people in my community have bought her bags and absolutely love it. If you absolutely love Unfiltered Friends, make sure you're sharing it on social media, rating it on all the podcast platforms, and following for the next amazing story. And until next week, this has been Unfiltered Friends.